This week, I had a wonderful conversation with Ray Fallin, the East Fremantle Baptist Church pastor, about living a life of faith. It is in the retelling of his story of transition in his late 30s from a successful career in IT to becoming a pastor that Ray provides a truly fascinating living example of living with faith and having the bravery to listen and act on God's word. Ray puts forward that God is good despite popular misgivings and his love is always waiting patiently on the other side of the door. All we have to do is open the door and let him in. We talk about many things including the need for a third space after home and work and the connection to community and something bigger than yourself and the benefits that that brings to life. Ray also provides a fascinating insight into the life of being a pastor and walking alongside his congregation. This is a very approachable conversation that provides a very real insight into opening up and allowing faith into your life. So enjoy, Ray. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. Consciously living and working as a person of faith and serving others with their faith is what we'll be talking today with my guest, Pastor Ray Fallen. Ray, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Bryn. So one of the questions I like to uh, dive into with my guests right at the start is their connection with Western Australia. Sure. So you were originally born in Queensland, hmm. but came here at the age of six, is that correct? That's correct. Do you remember much about living in Queensland? No, no not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> and I was born in, uh, in uh, Queensland in a town called Warwick, so a few hours uh, west uh, of, of Brisbane, and um, I was only there for about three weeks. Right. <laughs> so, no, I don't remember, remember very much from uh, Queensland, but soon after that, we went down to uh, Victoria, lived there for a few years in Ballarat, and then head back to England, where both my parents come from, uh, and we ultimately immigrated to Perth on the 1st of January, 1980. Right. So that's how ended up in Perth. And, I, and personally, I've been in Perth uh, ever since. Um, my family has gone back and lived in Queensland for a period of time. Yeah. But I've, I've you know, grown up in Perth and um, lived in Perth effectively my entire life, really, apart from those first few years. So what are some of your um, sort of residing memories of growing up in Perth? What's that like? What was that like? Yeah, good question. Uh, growing up in Perth was a lot of fun. Um, I grew up in... Uh, in South River, Ball Creek, when there was the big divide between the South and the North. Yes. <laughs> we were definitely from the South. I just grew up having a lot of fun as a, as a kid uh, in um, Western Australia, just going to local schools, uh, went to um, Bull Creek Primary, and then in, in high school went to um, Corpus Christi College, a Catholic school, uh, just over there in, uh, in Bateman, um, and just played a lot of sport, uh, messed around with friends, building things, fishing, camping, you know, all those kind of um, great things that um, nowadays I love to do with my own kids, my own yeah. boys. Yeah. So all in all, I think I had a pretty safe and enjoyable childhood. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to use the word safe. Yeah. Um, yeah, I look back, I had a good family around me, um, parents that um, cared for us, um, good good extended family and... Um, you know, life is not always perfect and has the, um, it often throws things down our path that we don't expect, but all in all, I look back and I think, yeah, 
I think I had a pretty safe and, and enjoyable childhood. So, mm. yeah, um, you look at some people's childhood and you hear some of the experiences and you realize that people go through a lot of hard and difficult things. Yeah. Uh, a lot of really challenging things. And sometimes it's, there's a lot of tragedy around them as well. And um, I just, I'm just thankful that um, even though we experienced some difficulties, it wasn't to the extent of some people. Mm. And so in that sense, yeah, I would say those words are yeah, pretty reflective of my childhood. Mm. Yeah. So, in what you do now, and we'll get into that hmm. more in a second, um, if I sort of chunk right out, there's a strong sense of um, service to others and hmm. of and of faith. Yep. Faith in something bigger than yourself. Sure. Um, yeah. Where does that come from in Ray's journey hmm. and story? Is that something that was instilled as a, a child or has it come later or...? Yeah, it's interesting, I think. Um, in, in certain respects, I did grow up uh, w- with some kind of faith context. So I grew up, uh, we'd say probably, we would say nominally Catholic. Okay, so a lot of, a lot of my friends uh, grew up with some kind of Catholic background where we might go to church on Christmas and maybe an Easter. Uh, and I know that's, that's pretty common for a lot of Australians to have that kind of experience. Um, and so I grew up with some kind of faith, but no real, nothing really concrete behind it. Just something that we did rather than something we really understood or, or mm. something that we really believed. We just did really out of obligation. And, and some of it was a this family history. Did. Yeah. My grandparents and my dad's side were quite strong Catholics, quite staunch Catholics. And so there was an expectation that that would run through the family. And, and so that, that's kind of where that came from. And, so I grew up as a as a young kid, um, saying a few prayers before I went to sleep, but never really knowing too much about the faith. It's just that's what I was sort mm. of taught, or you might even say indoctrinated. That's kind yeah. of who I was. Well, going through the motions of it. Yeah. The interesting thing was when I was about um, fourteen years old. Um, so my family, myself, my two sisters, living in Perth, living in Bull Creek, as I said, and. Uh, going to a Catholic church in Willerton sort of somewhat regularly. And, and I distinctly remember the time when my parents sat us around the family table and um, they wanted to ask a question about church. They knew we were struggling with church, found it boring and all that kind of thing, as most teenage kids do. Yeah. And uh, they sat us around and said, um, look, you guys are old enough now to make your own decision. Um, you can decide if you want to go to church anymore or not. Right. And so course immediately we said well we don't want to go to church it's yes boring <laughs> you know? to do. yeah it's probably the last thing i want to do on a sunday morning uh and so at that point in time the parents honored the decision and soon after our parents also stopped attending church um, on any kind of regular basis as well so i think in retrospect i look back and think well it probably wasn't something that they really wanted to do either yeah. and so once the kids said that you know made up our own life decisions that we didn't really want to do that then it sort of became the end of our journey of faith uh, as a family Um, as I continued to grow um, through my teenage years into my early 20s I carried some legacy so I would still feel obligated to pray before I slept and that kind of thing and so I had some kind of background but nothing really um, significant or substantial or, or real or anything like that um, that all changed for me 
when I was 24 years old and I met um, a girl um, who is now my wife <coughs> and mother of our three boys. And uh, she was a person of faith, uh, but not quite the same as what I was growing up. So she would call herself Christian rather than Catholic, uh, attending a Protestant church, um, a bit more of a charismatic type church. So for those of you who don't know what that means, it's basically a church where the the music is more active and people stand and they dance and they clap and they really get into it. Yeah. Uh, but it was a it was a Christian church, believed in the Bible. Um, it was just of a Protestant rather than a Catholic background, if, if you know what that means. Mm. Um, and so after meeting her, I just just felt that there was something different in her. Just there was a, a gentleness, a respect for others and integrity and that kind of thing. And, mm. and so we'd been dating for a few months. Um, and she invites me to her church and I'm, as you know, I'm Australian English background, so I'm Caucasian and she's Singaporean Chinese. So she invites me to her, her church service and it was a, a charismatic Chinese Christian church. Right. <laughs> In, in Perth somewhere, in one of the universities. And so I say, yeah, fine, I'll go along. I'm, I've been to church before. I know what church is about. So I'll come along and check it out. And so I, I turn up with a church and it's, it's a large church. You know, it's, it's in, a, it's, it's in a, um, a lecture hall in one of the universities and it's packed. There's probably about three or 400 people there. And there's probably about 99.9% Chinese. <laughs> right. And there's Easter probably about gal. me and two others. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I stuck out. Um, I stuck. I st- stuck out in that context, not only because I was Chinese, but sorry, I was Australian, and the rest were Chinese. But um, also, I'm re- relatively tall, being six foot one, and so I was kind of head and shoulders <laughs> above most people. And then to make matters mer- make matters worse, sorry, uh, worse, they um, it was a special weekend where they had invited all the university students to come together in their groups and with their friends to come along, and so you had to sit with your university groups. And so I'm like in the third row of this church service. And, you know, so I'm really sticking out uh, in this group. And, but I'm thinking, it's okay. It's just a normal church service. You know, I'll stand up and I'll say the right things. And I remember what to say at the right time and that kind of thing. And went to kneel and all that sort of stuff. And, and so we're sitting down and then the, um, the worship leader or the person who's leading stands up and says, okay, let's stand and sing. And so I stand up and don't mind singing from time to time and learn new songs. But then instantly, as soon as we started, it was just like, you know, going to a, a concert or something. Like everyone around me is raising their hands and um, some people are crying and some people are waving flags down the aisle. And I'm thinking, what on earth like, <laughs> has she invited me to? It was just, it was something out of, I had no context, no, no experience of it whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, so it really blew me away, that experience. Um, and so th- my first response was to withdraw from that and to think, what is she into? Is this some kind of cult or something? <laughs> you know. Um, but then I think, you know, over the, getting over the shock of that and then just, just growing in my relationship with her and talking to others around her, her family, um, getting a better understanding of Christianity and where it fits and that kind of thing, realizing that there are different um, expressions of people's faith and people have different personalities in the way they like to express their faith. So learning more, but the, I think the, the thing that really changed for me that 
made it um, something that I wanted to um, explore for myself was really when it came down to I actually started to read the Bible myself. Right. So, so when I was in the Catholic Church, we were we were taught, we were told, and it didn't really make a lot of sense to me as a teenager. Mm. Um, when I was in school, I was never really encouraged to open up the Bible and read it for myself. But in those days, in those months after going to that church, I was encouraged to just read it for myself and make up my own mind. And when I did that, and I you know, went through the Gospels. It just made so much sense, and it was—it wasn't what I'd been taught, or what it wasn't what yeah. I thought it was. It was—it was something far more real and far more powerful that really started to make a lot of sense to me. Um, and that was where I would say my true journey of faith really began. Mm. Was when I sort of tuned out what everyone else was saying and the legacy and the expectations and all that sort of stuff. All that, and just that, yeah. yeah, and just investigated it for myself. Right. Um, by nature, I'm quite a skeptical person, um, and so I have a lot of questions. And so, you know, a lot of people have questions of the faith. I've had those questions too, and yeah. and so I've I've challenged a lot of those um, those those um, reasons why we might reject what we read in the Bible and that kind of thing. And um, and I've just found the more and more you look into it, the more you study it, and the more you learn about it, it just blows your mind. And just blows you away that there is actually something real there that um, gives us actually real hope. Not false hope, but actually something that we can really uh, put our faith and our trust and our hope in. How old were you when you started this? 24 was... That's so when you first started reading the Bible. Yeah, well, 24 was when I first met my wife, my wife at the time, girlfriend at the time, Karen. And then, you know, over that year, I began to, you know, look at the Bible myself and it was, we got married when I was 26 and um, I got baptized before I was married. So let's say a year and a half or so of uh, exploring it, talking to people to the point where actually, no, I think there's actually really something mm. here. So when you and first started, um, um, this is really interesting. When you first started reading the Bible, was it, because I find, um, was it the the stories, almost like the literal translation stories, or was it mm. the, hey, let me just think about these stories and what's actually sitting beneath them? Does, it, does that make sense? Hmm. I think, um, you know, when people think about the Bible, they think of the stories and the parables and that sort of thing. But there is a, the, the, there's something amazing about the Bible that most people don't realize is that there, yeah, there's lots of stories and there's obviously the Old Testament, the New Testament, it's a big book. Mm. Um, <clears throat> you know, thousands of hours of reading to get through it. Um, and it's, it's written over thousands of years by many different authors, at least 40 different people. But there is a consistent story that, that runs like a thread that runs mm. through all of it. And, and what, begins to, what began to blow my mind as I was reading it and understanding it more is that that consistent story is so reliable from beginning to end. Uh, and it's like throughout the book throughout yeah like if you open the very first book in Genesis um, you're actually introduced to this story I like to call it the golden thread this story that that one day someone is going to come who is going to redeem us give us hope for the future and that person obviously is Jesus Christ but in the beginning you know in 
in chapter three of the very first book, you get this you get this like inkling that there's someone who's going to come. And as you go through the Bible, just more and more is added to that until you open up the very first you know, book of the New Testament and you start reading the Gospels and suddenly you're introduced to this person who's now the fulfillment of all those promises from throughout the Bible. And it just keeps going through the New Testament. It adds more and more and then it becomes the people of faith who live that way. And it's amazing how much that harmonizes with itself like it doesn't conflict yeah it's there's this amazing story about this person of this god who comes down as a man and lives among us and um and obviously the me- the message of christ that he, he dies for our sins that we might be forgiven and there's just an amazing consistency throughout the whole bible and so what has really blown me away about the Bible is not so much the stories and there's something in every passage, but it's, it's the, the big picture right. and how it all hangs together. Um, you know, every time I get a chance to preach at our church, which is fairly regularly, I usually choose a passage of, of the Bible and we, we, we speak through that passage, maybe one chapter or something like that. And almost every time it's, it's like you, you, you pull off the layers and you, you see a depth there to that passage, mm. which is unlike any other aspect of literature that I've ever seen before. Right. There's so much depth there that every time you, you pull it off and, and you, you begin to, to realize that it, it fits with the context and the time of when it was written. And, and this passage connects with another author in the Bible that wrote it a thousand years ago who knew nothing about this. And... The more that you study the Bible, you just can't not have faith because it's just yeah. incredible in the way that it opens up. And so for me, the, the two big things of faith for me is obviously, as you've heard me saying, the Bible. And, and, and I read it and just am incredibly amazed with what I read and, and what it teaches me about who Christ is and about what God's plan is for us in the world. But the second big thing for faith for me is actually not the written word, it's actually it's actually the world around us, seeing the creation, or you might call it nature. And mm. um, I've always just been blown away by that. And um, if I can just tell you one story, if that's okay. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. You asked about um, how I got to this place, and I missed missed one sort of fairly important uh, moment in my life. Well, I was about 17 years of age, maybe 18, and... Um, living in Bull Creek, uh, just going out with my mates. And we were, it must have been 18 because we were at that stage where we could go clubbing, we could go out at night time and just, just have a great time with our friends doing that kind of thing. Um, we had this kind of habit where we would go out, maybe have a little bit too much to drink, and then come back home and um, we would lay down on my driveway in Bull Creek. And we would just, like 18-year-old <laughs> like kids, just laying on, just, just, just chatting and enjoying our time together. Talking rubbish. Yeah, just talking rubbish, just talking about the evening. And I um, can't remember what time it was, but just laying on the, on the driveway in Bull Creek and just looking up at the stars. And, you know, if you've ever looked at the stars, it's just incredible, particularly if you go out of Perth and you yes. see the Milky Way and it's this vista and it's just amazing. And that just, that never ceases to, to blow me away when I see that. Um, but there was two thoughts that really just to hit me um, one evening when I was laying there and I, I still remember them clearly to the day and I don't know where they came from um, but we're looking up at the stars and I had these, these two overwhelming thoughts 
the first thought was, you know, what if this life is all that there is? If I'm given these 50, 70, 80, 90 years and, and, and that's it, and that's all I have, what happens when this life is over? What happens when I get to that point where I die? And I had this terrifying thought. Um, I don't know if you ever thought this before, but, but if there is no God, if there's nothing else out there, and this is all that there is, then in that moment, I must cease to exist. There's no more me. There's no more sense of life or living or experience for all eternity. And I don't know why, but as a, well, I think I do know why, but as a 18 year old kid, that terrified me. Yeah. I, I wasn't a person of faith, I wouldn't say. Didn't go to church. Didn't really know if there was a God or who was his name, which God it was, all that kind of thing. But that thought of this being all there is, and but more, more explicitly, that thought of ceasing to exist and there is nothing else for me to experience for all eternity. There's no more me. Man, that scared the daylights out of me. You know, that, that was terrifying. Um, and so I had that thought. That's the first one. And, and then the second thought was somewhat more comforting, but still no answer to it. But it was looking at the stars and, you know, I, I come from a scientific background. My father's was sci scientist, my grandfather's a scientist. And so I'm quite a, as I said, a skeptical, but also a logical thinker. And I would look up at the stars and, you know, I, I know the various theories of, of how this could have all occurred and the Big Bang. And I, I know all that kind of cosmology and things, but I looked up at the stars and I'm thinking, there must be someone that made this. There must be someone more intelligent than me, yeah. <laughs> more intelligent than humanity that, that put this all together. Um, and th the more I look at creation and the, the more you think about the, the, just the depth and the, the majesty of our universe and then e even the incredible complexity of the human life and, the, and, and our intellect. And I, I'm just overwhelmed by that. And yes, as I said, I understand um, theories like evolution and Big Bang and I'm not, I'm not there to, to, to bash on them at all, but I just think that behind all of that, even if you follow those theories, behind mm. all of that, there's got to be someone who is guiding this, um, who, is, um, who had a plan, who had a blueprint for this. Hmm. And when I, so that was the second thought I had. When I looked up those stars, I thought, there must be someone that made all this. I didn't know his name. I didn't know who yeah. it was. Um, uh, something bigger than me. But you. there must be something some bigger than me, yeah. Yeah, there must be someone bigger than me. So I had those two <laughs> yeah. kind of opposite thoughts. And That's super one gave me some kind of hope and faith. And the other one left me really <laughs> hollow and scared. <laughs> yeah. Scared. Um, and it really wasn't until, as I said, until I was 24, 25, yeah. I was beginning to maybe get some answers to those those questions that I that, that I had. And, mm. um, and it's, it's been a journey. Uh, some people have... You know, they in the church we talk about um, moments where people just just fall down before God and just believe, and they and their life is just converted in an instant, and they just it's blinding it's light, like blinding light. light. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. And they just changed, and and some people have those experiences. That's wonderful, but but for me it was a very slow journey. Slow burner. Yeah. yeah. 
And because I, you you spent many years working in computer science and, yeah. and, and being yeah. a computer programmer, didn't you? I did, yeah. You know, uh, my understanding is, is that it wasn't until mid-latter 30s did you think about any sort of pastoral mm. leading. So, mm. You, so you must have just you know, carried on with this logical, right, I'm going to... Yep. Mm. The faith is going to be part of my life. But as far as my work's concerned, I'm off to be a computer programmer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I love working with computers. Um, that really satisfies my logical thinking and my, my desire to achieve things and build things. I have, I have that, still have that even right now at this moment. Yeah. Um, what sort of things were you doing? Well, I was working for a finance company, uh, primarily in um, the area of superannuation and some other investments and insurance and things like that. And, and so my role was um, uh, to build uh, fairly large, complex um, websites that would allow uh, people like financial planners, investors to come in and, and manage their clients and uh, buy and sell shares and all those kind of things. Mm. So it's, it's quite a complex environment. Um, and Do you enjoy I, it? I, I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, I found it very satisfying intellectually, very challenging, um, a great, great, a great business to be part of, uh, and to have opportunities to grow in my own personal development. I had great leadership opportunities there. I started as um, just almost a graduate programmer. Uh, it wasn't my first role, but it was my second out of university. So I did a computer science uh, degree at WA, and then um, worked at a place for about I think. A year or something like that as a contract and then picked up this role and uh, uh, I ultimately stayed there my entire IT career and that was actually very rewarding doing that so I got a lot of opportunities because I, I was uh, mm. remained um, remained there I would say I was loyal to them and they were very loyal and um, and helpful in my career as well and so so I ultimately um, stayed within the programming space but I did move into more um, sort of pseudo project management type roles mm. and so one of the last projects I did was a project where we were building a new investment platform and uh, we had about 20 programmers working and so I was um, overseeing the programmers and, and mentoring them and and um, making sure that they deliver and so the, the yeah. role the role merged a to little time, bit to budget yeah all those kind all of things stuff. yeah all those things that um help me very much in what I'm doing today yeah <laughs> trying to run a church because you need to have all those skills yeah. um, as well uh, yeah so I really enjoyed my time um, in in IT um, and I still tinker doing various programming things in my own time just as hobbies today yeah uh, but there I think when, um, yeah when did it did it change when did it start to change and, and what mm. did that look and feel like when did it it was, again, it was a very slow progress, um, a, a journey. Um, mm. Not because I'm a slow mover, I'm, I'm quite a doer <laughs> <laughs> and I do like to move fast on things, but some things in life just take time. Uh, and, so, and certain things I find, I might be going off a little bit here, certain things I find when it comes to things that are bigger than you and faith, they're, they're very strong, but they're very gentle at the same time and they just yeah. gently come into your life yeah yeah I, I I sort of comment on on faith there I find that um, uh, this may not be the experience of everybody but certainly for a lot of people God doesn't seem to barge through the door <laughs> you know he's just 
uh, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, we were um, going through a passage in the book of Revelation. And mm. there's this image there of, of a church, which is in the language of Revelation, neither hot nor cold. So they're not on fire. He calls them lukewarm. Mm. Says you just you're just doing church. You're just living your life, and you got all these other plans and things in life, and you're not really doing what I called you to do. And there's an image, a very famous image in that um, in that passage, where there's an image of Jesus. He's standing on the he's standing outside the door of the church, and he's knocking. And he says, I'm standing on the door and knock, standing outside the door and knock. Anyone hears my voice and invites me in, I will come in and eat with them and share my life with them. But the image, which was actually captured by an artist in the, um, in the 1500s, a guy called Hol- uh, Holman Holt, and he, he drew an image of this. And it, images tell a thousand words. And when you see the image, it makes a lot of sense. There's an image of the church and the door of the church is there. And so everyone... All the Christians, supposedly Christians, are inside doing church. And who's on the outside? It's Jesus, the head yeah. of the church. So they think they're doing church and it's all about Jesus, but Jesus isn't even in the church. <laughs> He's on the outside knocking to get in. And he captures this image so well because he draws an image of the door to the church. And there's all weeds and leaves and stuff at the church door. It's rusted on the hinges, so it obviously hasn't been open for a long time. And the key image for me is that there's no door handle on the outside. Right. The door handle is on the inside. Right. And that powerfully demonstrates mm. that what I think, what, what it's trying to say is that God is not going to barge through your life. I mean, some, for some people he does. They have that blinding flash and it's so obvious, so clear yes. that they just can't not change direction. But for most of us, it seems that God is there we have an inkling that there's something more to life mm. than we've experienced. He shows up in very gentle. He's gentle. He, he's quiet. He, he's, and he's, he's standing on the door. He's, he's standing outside the door and he's knocking. And it's our prerogative to um, tune out all the other noise, hear that knock, and actually it becomes our choice whether we want to open that door and invite him in. Mm. And that's kind of the type of God that we seem to have. In the Old yeah. Testament, there's a similar image where one of the great prophets, Elijah, he, he, he runs away and he, he goes and hides on a mountain. And it, it, you read in the story that, a, that a, like a, a really strong wind comes and it says God is not in the wind. Um, a thunderstorm comes and God is not in the thunderstorm. Lightning comes and God is not in the lightning. And then there's this soft, quiet, gentle whisper the wind and the whisper that comes. And when Elijah hears that whisper, he knows that's God. And that's when he goes outside and he hears God speaking to him. So there's this idea, which I think is um, a representation of who our God is, that is he, he, he gives us enough in life to know that there must be something more. And I've shared some of those things today. And I think some of your other um, interviews have shared similar things as well. But he doesn't force us to follow him. He doesn't coerce mm. us. He wants, he, he's looking for people who would want to choose to know him, who would want to choose to be part of his family. And, and when you open that door and you say, yeah, that's me, I want to open that door. Then he says, I'll come in and I'll eat with you and I'll share my life with you. And so coming back to your question now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, I love that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I just find it so amazing that that's, that's, the type of God that we have. And, you know, we could have mm. had any God, really. <laughs> yes. But um, 
we have a gentle God, a God who comes to us in grace and love and gentleness and yeah. Loves us so unconditionally that he allows us to not open the door if we don't want to. <sighs> yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I think sometimes if I was God I wouldn't work the way that he does. <laughs> Um, but that's, that's just because you're human yeah that's because I'm human and like uh, you know sometimes I want to tell people what to do <laughs> <laughs> like it yeah. yeah but the whole the Bible begins with a choice you know Adam and Eve and it ends with a choice the the, the second last verse of the Bible um, it, in, in the last chapter of the Bible it, it's this idea that all who would come you know would be received and then then we have this longing that Christ would return um so there's this gentleness to God, um, but and there's an unconditional nature that no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter how how far your life seems to be away from God, He's He's there. Mm. Um, there really is nothing that we can do. There's nothing that's not forgivable. Mm. That's my understanding of the God that we have. And, mm. um, anyway, so to come back and. Yeah. Um, and so, you, you know, you're asking about how I transitioned um, in my career to uh, pastoral ministry. And it was a very long transition. Um, and, I, and I think it was long because I think that was God's intention as mm. opposed to mine. Um, I'll explain what I mean by that is. So I was working in IT and while I loved the um, the technology and the, the challenge, um, the, the more I the more I sort of began to journey through my faith, I began to think, well, even though I enjoy what I'm doing in work, um, at the end of the day, I'm dealing with finances, I'm dealing with money. And so there, there wasn't that sort of, that, that noble feeling of um, I'm adding to the depth of people's lives and the richness. I'm, mm. I'm adding to the, the wealth, I could say. Yes. But in some respects, that sort of began to clash a little bit with with what I hope to see. I hope to see people grow in their faith and their understanding of God and to, to deal with some of the difficulties in their life. And so there began to become a bit of a rift between um, the, the goals of the workplace and, and, and what I thought God was doing in my life. Mm. Um, so I, I became involved with a parachurch organization, which was a, an organization called Bible Study Fellowship, which is... A group that really just focused on studying and teaching the Bible, and I was in that group for about ten years, uh, and it was really just focused on that. So it didn't have all the other paraphernalia that and the other focuses that church would have and events and that kind of thing. It just come together, big group. It was all men, um, in Mount Pleasant. Uh, we had about a hundred men that came, and uh, we just came. We for one one year at a time, we'd work through a book of the Bible. So it was pretty intense. Yeah. Uh, and I started in that about a year after I became a Christian. And, I, and as I said, I remained in that for 10 years. And uh, I, I, work, I worked through different roles in that organization. So I started off just as a, a member and just attending and being part of groups and things. And then I joined the children's program, which I became a children's leader. So dads would come along and bring their teenage kids and mm-hmm. we would teach their kids. And so if you want to become better at something and learn something more, you become a teacher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I... I challenged in my understanding and had to grow my knowledge um, during that time and after doing that for a few years um, I became the teacher of the teachers so I uh, led the teachers it was like a children's supervisor type role 
Uh, and it was about that point in time, about five years into that, I began to think that actually I wanted to go and work in the church. That was about the first time I had those feelings. Yeah. Um, but I was... Was it a, a case of, God, I really enjoy that? And just coming back, buzzed or, or something, or was it? Um, actually, it's almost the opposite. <laughs> oh, right. um, it was, I mean, I love that Bible study context, but it was highly disciplined. Yeah. And it was quite strict, like you had to do it in a certain way. And <clears throat> I kind of found, found that a bit stifling. Right. And I looked at the church and thought, you know, if I was working in the church, if I was a pastor in the church, if I was a leader in the church, I could do what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> and we could do these events and we could do this and we could make it fun. And, and, and so it was the freedom of the church context right. that actually uh, was drawing me out, I thought, of that, of that um, more structured environment. Hmm. Now, some people love the structure. Yeah. And I, I kind of do and kind of don't. And so... I was able to, so I loved it for a number of years and then I just started to feel a little bit more drawn to a slightly more freer environment or open environment. Um, but having decided that I wanted to go to the church, I um, uh, sort of started talking to God about it and saying, you know, you know, I think this is where you're calling me. Mm. Um, this is where I, I, I think I'm going. And and my experience was that every time I tried to leave that group and, and head towards the church and start making roads towards the church, is that God would just close the door. Mm. Um, now, that, that's kind of Christian language to say that, um, you know, you pray about something. And, and I kind of want to know, is this God's plan? Is it his desire for my life or not? And, and he would just close the door. Like I'd have, I'd have people coming to me saying, look... Um, just felt that you're doing a great job in the Bible study. You should stay there. I, I'd be reading the Bible and there'd be things that just talk about just staying where you are. And I just just had this overwhelming sense that God is saying no, 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 no. And, and I, without wait going through it, all the experiences, for <laughs> yeah, like for many, many years, he just kept saying no. And it got to the point where I was getting frustrated. I'm thinking, what's going on? Why, why does he keep saying no? <laughs> um, and... Uh, after um, being the children's supervisor for about three or four years, um, I, I just decided I was going to shut off this, what I felt God was saying. I just I've had enough. I, don't, I need to get out. And so at the end of the year, I went and spoke to my, my, my leader, who was the teaching leader, who taught the whole men's group, right? Um, and he, he led all the leaders. So he was, he, he, he was leading me as well. And I went to him and I just said, look, I, I feel like um, it's time for me to step out, someone else to come in. And, you know, I couched it nicely and, you know, and he turned to me and he said immediately, he said, oh, I was just about to ask you to pray about another role. Um, and through that process, uh, we had the supervisors come over recent states and they asked me to pray about taking on the whole teaching role of the men. I'm like, you've got to be joking. <laughs> right. I'm like, I'm 35 years old or something like that. Most of the men are in their 50s. And I'm thinking, that, that can't be right. You know, I was about the third youngest in the class. I'm thinking, surely that is not what God's plan is. But being a dutiful Christian, I said, yep, I'll pray about it. Not really putting a lot into that. <laughs> not, not expecting God to say anything else than, now it's time to leave and go and work in the church. And, um. 
so I said, I'll pray about it and I'll let you know what, what, what my decision is. So that, um, that week or one day that week I was, um, catching the train to my IT job and I, I was just in the habit of just reading through the New Testament on the train and, um, and I was up to the book of, um, one Peter. It's not a very long book. It's only, uh, five chapters in it. And, um, you know, it takes about 20 minutes to read, which you can read on the train. So I'm, so I opened up to one Peter. That was the next book I was, I was up to. And I, and I said to God kind of <laughs> audaciously, I said, okay, God, I'll give you one Peter. I'll give you the book of one Peter. If you want to call me to this new role, uh, then you've got this book to kind of convince me. And maybe there's something in this, <laughs> these pages that is going to make me, uh, decide that this is the plan that you have for me. And so I said, but I'm only giving you one Peter. <laughs> so I'm reading through it on the train and I'll get up to 1 Peter chapter 5 and I'm, I'm thinking, no, nah, there's nothing in this for me. I'm, I'm home free. And I got, got to 1 Peter 5 and then it all, <laughs> it all changed. And um, I felt very inadequate. I was a young guy. I was only 35 and everyone was older than me. And, and 1 Peter 5, it was about young men and elders. And the first part was about young men. I thought, oh, this could be for me because I'm a young man. And I read through it and there was, there was nothing in that for me. And I thought, oh, I'm definitely home free now. And then the next bit was about elders. And, you know, when someone says something to you and it's almost like you feel like the planets are aligning or something, you feel like they said that just for me. I and get it that just, most podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there's it, always a moment in yeah. most podcasts where I sit there and go, Shit, that's why I'm talking to. The, well, that's why I'm talking to this person today. Yeah, yeah. Well, it just it, it hits you, and they don't know that it hits you, but it hits you, and you just know that you know that you know that that's for yes. You. And I'm reading through this passage, and it just hit me, uh, and I knew that God was speaking to me. It said, "As I was, it was a a role, it was a pastoral type role where you're shepherding people." And I didn't really want to do it, but I was saying to God in my own time, I was saying, I don't think I really want to do this, but if you want me to do it, I'll do it. And the, the verse goes something like this. It says, um, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Oh, that just, I, I didn't even finish the book. <laughs> it's like I stopped there and I'm just saying, I just felt like the God of the universe was speaking to me. Yeah. And so I got on the phone, called up the guy and said, well, to my great surprise, <laughs> yeah, I'm, on. I'm, I'm back on board. And so I stepped into a role where um, it was out of my comfort zone. Um, but God in his grace, I think, enabled me to do that. And um, I did that for two years and then I moved into a young adults class so same group but teaching young adults and I felt a bit more confident then because at least I was older than everybody um, and then it was about halfway through the year of teaching the young adults so I'd been in this Bible study fellowship group for about 10 years now I'd worked my way up through quite a few of the roles to a fairly senior role in the group teaching classes and things and I got to the point where I began to think, well, maybe God doesn't want me to go to the church. Every time I ask him, can I go to the church? He just closes the door. It's like slam shut in my face. I'm thinking, maybe I've been reading it wrong. Um, 
maybe I don't, maybe that's not what God's plan is for my life, even though it's my desire at that time. Maybe it's not His. And so um, something changed in me that week. Uh, I remember the week clearly. Um, I just decided to say enough is enough. You know those moments when you just, it's almost like you get fed up yeah. and you make a decision and that's, you don't turn back on that decision. And so I made a decision. I said, okay, I'm going to stop bothering trying to go to the church because every time I try and go to the church, God says no. Um, it's just so obvious it's ridiculous. So I, I said, okay. So I just prayed and said, God, okay, um, I'm not going to bother trying anymore. Um, probably a little bit disrespectful. <laughs> yeah. But I just said, obviously, you don't want me to go to the church, so I'm going to stop trying. I'll just do the best that I can in this organization. I'll work in IT, um, and um, we'll see what you do through that. And I came out of that time of prayer, and, and prayer, I, I don't hear what God says audibly. I, mm. I never have. Some people claim they have, but I never have. But I kind of just let him know what's in my heart. And, and I came out of that thinking um, that I'd made up my mind. And I really did. That was the end of it for me. Um, and I just, the, I, I, my mind changed. My mindset changed. I, I flicked over and I thought, okay, I'm going to go from here. And I'll do the best that I can in that Bible study fellowship group. The very next day <laughs> is when it all changed. Um, uh, I was um, two things happened. <laughs> it's kind of there's irony there, but I now I guess knowing God a bit better, I, I kind of see this more often in people's lives. Is um, I uh, was heading towards a um, a prayer meeting. It was a Friday morning, um, an elders' prayer meeting. I was part of Subiaco Church of Christ at the time, and I was what's called an associate elder. So part of the, the board, if you like, but I was only an associate until we got voted into the end of the year. And I was riding my motorbike there, um, and when you're wearing a, a motorbike helmet, I don't know if you've ever done it before, but you get this echo effect where you can talk, and it's like when you're speaking like this, and you can really hear your own voice. Yeah. And so I'm just... I'm just speaking to God and you see there the, there's one part that I missed is that um, after I had um, said that was it that um, I wasn't going to try anymore um, I was reading the Bible that evening um, to prepare for something for BSF and uh, again God spoke to me through his word hmm. and um, he seemed to be saying to me that I want you to go to Bible college to study. Um, something I didn't say earlier about myself is that I, I don't really enjoy study. Right. <laughs> I really don't enjoy, you know, I didn't do great in my schooling. I didn't do wonderfully well at university, but I did enough to get into what I needed to get into. And I remember saying in my first degrees, oh, I, I never want to go back to university again. And and, and so one of the things that I said to God is, I, I never want to go to university. I never want to go to Bible study or a Bible college or anything like that. Mm. And um, that evening, after I decided that I, I, I wouldn't pursue going to the church anymore, he really spoke to me through his word. And he said, I want you to go to Bible college. That's what I heard. That's not what the Bible said, but that's what I really felt inside. Yeah. I'm saying, God, what are you saying? Are you calling me now to, to prepare to be a pastor after I've said no all these years? After you said no all these years and after I've decided that that's the end of it? 
And, and so coming back to when I was going to the prayer meeting the very next morning, and so I'm riding my motorcycle and I'm really wrestling with this. I'm saying, God, what are you really saying? Um, and I'm thinking, God, if you are calling me to, to be a pastor, if you're calling me to go to Bible college, that means I need to quit my job. Um, we just moved into Netherlands of all places and we had a big mortgage. Yeah. Um, I was no longer in a place where I could afford to do that. Yeah. I said, God, if you'd had asked me two years ago, it would have been fine. <laughs> yeah. But you're asking me now, I've, I've got a big mortgage to pay. My wife wasn't currently working at the time. Um, I think, God, what are you doing? Why are you calling me to this? So I said to God, if you really want me to do this, I, I need more than just that. That's, that's not enough for me. It's, that's too big of an art. We had kids, responsibilities. And so I'm, I'm wrestling with this as I'm writing to a time of prayer. And I get to the, the prayer time and we, we, we just gather together and just pray for the things of the church and the people mm. in the church and that kind of thing. And then at the end of the time of prayer, and I had been praying for the church, but honestly, I'm thinking in my head, I'm just wrestling with this. Yeah. And no one in that room knew what I was going through. No one even knew that I was thinking about this. I mean, it only happened the day before. And one of the ministers of the church came up to me um, and he just said words that I knew, again, just hit me straight, <laughs> yeah, to, you. straight to the only heart. For you. Just for the heart. <laughs> yeah. He comes up to me, I'm like, I'm thinking, you know, God, do you really want me to do this? And then he comes up to me and says, Ray, have you ever thought about being a minister? And, he, and I go, no. I was going, to, yeah, well, I had, but... <laughs> Quite <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> Yeah. And then he goes, um, have you ever thought about going to Bible college? And then he went and say, you know, I think God might be calling you to that. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, you know, crap again. <laughs> yeah. So these coincidences happen in our life where if we're not people of faith, we can just say, well, that's, that's you know, great luck or, you know, mm. circumstances. Synchronicity. But, yeah. But... W- when you see it through eyes of faith, you begin to realize that it's, 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 it's impossible those things could happen unless there was a God behind it. Um, and so I, I came away with that thinking, oh my goodness, okay, I'm, I'm now convinced that God is now calling me to the church. Yeah. One more thing happened, just to share briefly, is... Um, this is, this is what I was saying earlier. I love all these data points that come together. Yeah. And, and they're so obvious now, but yeah. at the time it must have been quite uh well unnerving yeah overwhelming as well yeah yeah anxiety provoking yeah it's only sometimes in retrospect you look back and you see how it all that you see the plan that in mm. some ways you see what god has been planning but you don't really see that at the time um but um so the next day i oh know sorry it must have been that day so it was that was a friday mm. morning so that afternoon i'm at church i'm at, I'm at sorry i'm at work my it company and I get called into the, the big boss's office, right? And I'm thinking, what's going on? <laughs> and um, in my mind, I had already sort of decided, uh, no, God is calling me to Bible college. So I'm going to have to tell them that I'm going to have to leave. And mm. I'll probably leave. It was around October time, so I'll, I'll leave next year to go to Bible college. So I'm sitting in the office. And um, they say, Ray, we've got this great opportunity for you. <laughs> so I'm working in Perth, Western Australia. I said, this... this um, $300 million project has come up and we want you to be the lead architect over the whole software design IT section of it, right? So you're going to have to go to um, Eastern States to work in it. You're gonna, you can choose the team that you want 
it was almost like you just handed to me on a platter. So they said, you know, what would your role? I say, what would the role be? I say, what would you like it to be? Um, is there a pay rise? Yes, it'd be a pay rise. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm thinking, my, my now to, to to put this into spiritualized to see what okay what's really going on is mm. um it was a true offer it was it was offered to me um i i could have accepted it um i didn't i i said to them i really appreciate the offer um uh let me think about it i went home um thinking um it would be easy to say no because i really felt that god was calling me to this but it wasn't easy it was actually really hard uh, really difficult to turn something like that down when you know um, the reality of responsibilities of paying mortgages and all that kind of thing and the opportunities. So I struggled more than I thought I would struggle. But in the end, I did make the right decision. And I went back to them um, on Monday and I told them, look, I love the opportunity, but God is calling me in this direction. Um, so I'm going to have to um, step down. But what I will do, though, is I'll spend the next six months preparing someone to do that. So it was... And they... They accepted that, and how did they? How did they take it when you said God is calling me to do this? Uh, they already knew I was a person of faith, mm. um, and they knew I was involved in Bible study fellowship group. Um, and because I had been with them for fifteen years, we knew each other really well. Yeah, and it was yeah. like a family. Um, and they were great people. Um, still friends with a number of them, and. I had been loyal to them in my career and they'd been loyal to me and, and so it was a give-take relationship and so it didn't really surprise them. Yeah. Um, and they they respected what I was saying. Um, and they appreciated the fact that I would spend six months setting it up so I, it was the busiest time of my working career. <laughs> right at yeah. the end, I thought I'd have this nice little... Uh, <laughs> plateau. Yeah, yeah, plateau end out but it was actually crazy busy. I had to learn all these new technologies and... I was leading a team over in Eastern States and I'd fly there, come back, and it's crazy busy. But I'm sure it was there for a reason. Um, uh, and, but as I spiritualize that, and I look through that through spiritual eyes, I can see that there is, it's a test. It's a test of faith. It's, God is saying, this is what I want you to do. And it's not a path of great money and great wealth. It's actually a path of, well, if you go down this path, how are you going to afford to look after your family? It's, it's a step of faith. And then there's this, here's this on this, the, the other opportunity that's given to you exactly at the same time. It's not a path of faith. That's a path of, wow, that's great. That's awesome. You're going to get paid well, opportunities. So for me, it was, it was a choice of living for God or living for myself and um, living for um, wealth and and um, the things of this earth, and but it and I thought it would be easier, but as I said, it wasn't. And and I think those when you get down to those tests of faith, then you would think that they're easy, but then they're actually difficult, and they really challenge you to 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 really struggle and wrestle mm. with that. Um, so I see it as a whole thing was actually ordained by God just to just to. Probably not to prove to God that my faith was real, but actually to prove to me that my faith was real. Yes. That my faith was strong enough to be able to say no to that and yes to this. That makes sense. Yeah. And so we did say yes. Um, 
and God slowly began to provide the finances that we needed. Um, I, um, uh, my work came back and said, look, um, we know that you want to resign because I told them I want to resign, but we want to keep you on. Um, and so we, could you come back during the school holidays and work? Um, and I said, uh, yeah, I can do that. And so I, over the next four years as I did my degree, um, I would go back during the school holidays or during the university holidays and I would work there for a few months, did some part-time, worked in yeah. support. And they were really supportive of that. And so that gave us some money to, to, to pay the bills during that time. Very soon after I, I accepted um, the, um, the college entry um, and I started Bible college, my wife got a job at a local church and she started doing two days a week and then ultimately four days a week. Um, but the, probably the, the, the greatest um, provision that God has given us, and I didn't see this until the end, was... Um, was really quite quite incredible. Um, so, as I've described, when you have that moment where you're making that transition and you're deciding to step out of faith or not, you don't see beyond that moment. You don't see the plan. I don't didn't know that I would be at the church that I'm at now. I didn't know where we'd be financially. I didn't know where our kids would go to school or where we would live or any of that kind. Of, you don't know. That's why it's called faith. It's stepping out of faith. Yeah, live by faith, not by sight. We talk about. And um, <clears throat> what happened was. Um, I did my, my three-year degree over four years. After I finished the degree, I was working part-time at Subiaco Church of Christ as an associate pastor. I felt that God was calling me to, to a different church, to a, a, a broader role, like a full-time ministry role, maybe even leading a church one day. I kind of sensed that, what was, God, what, what was God's plan in the next stage? And so I finished up at Subi Church of Christ and I began a process of seeing what churches were looking for people. And just like you apply for any job, you go through that process. Mm -hmm. At this time, I was still working at uh, my IT company, just doing it part-time as well as looking for um, work. And it took about three months, which wasn't very long, uh, to find a church. And initially, I didn't think it was the right church, but God just kept removing barriers until it became the right church. Very, yeah. very much so. Yeah. Uh, and we're very happy going, there now. Right? Yeah. yeah, this is where I am now. We're very happy to be there now yeah. um, and been there for two years now. But about um, two weeks before I accepted the, the role at East Rio Church, uh, it became clear that I was going to be offered the role. Okay, So the, the members voted, it was unanimous, and it was really up to me just to accept the offer. Mm. And so I was about to hand in my resignation to the IT company because I could no longer work there part-time. Yeah. Days before I hand in my resignation, I get called into the office, the IT office, and just amazingly, they offered me a um, redundancy package. Oh. <laughs> so oh. you, you talk about God's timing. Um, and <laughs> and what, what I find amazing is... Um, the redundancy package, see, I lost a lot of money going through Bible college. We had to yeah. take money out of our mortgage and we lost, and obviously lost income from not working and, and life's expensive. And so we lost probably well over, it cost us probably well over 100K to go down that path yeah. to do that. The redundancy package paid for everything that I had lost <laughs> and maybe even gave us a little bit more. 
Now, you go back four years to that point where you're offered those two options. I had no idea that I would get a redundancy package. I mean, it would it was kind of like a, a dream, mate. Maybe one day, you know, you might get that. I had no idea. Uh, and I didn't see it until the very end of the process. Mm-hmm. You know, days before I'm about to tell them I'm going to resign, I get the redundancy package. Now, again, you can say that's coincidence, but when you choose to look at that, it's really hard not to see God behind that. It's just too incredible. Mm. Um, and so I, I take no pride in that myself. I just say, man, God is awesome. And when you, yeah, when you trust that. in Him, awesome. yeah, when you really do step out in faith and trust Him, um, and some people have done that in way more incredible ways than I've shared today, but mm. um, he, he doesn't let you down. He doesn't let you down. Um, he can be trusted. Um, so, yeah, the transition took a long time, um, uh, but each step was like a stepping stone to something. Um, <clears throat> it wasn't um, just go from uh, just from becoming a Christian to automatically leading a church. That would be disastrous <laughs> if, if anybody did that, I think. Mm. Um, uh, life has to do its process on you. Um, I like that life has to do its process. Yeah, I think you need to, you walk through life and you need to <clears> grow. And um, So I didn't start the role at East Frio Church, um, leading the church until two years ago when I was, um, so about 42. Um, and by that time, um, you know, I've been married. I've had three children. Um, I've had a career. I've kind of got past that that stage of, trying to make something of myself um that probably sounds really arrogant and i'm sorry about that but no i'm trying to i'm you know there's there's stages of life that you go through and there's a stage where you you want to make a name for yourself and you and and you and you you want to climb that ladder you want to be the best that you can you want to be the boss you want to be the leader and i kind of got past that a little bit um and to be a pastor of a church i'm all I can say is I'm glad I'm past that stage because it's not about me. It's not. It's mm. not about me. Um, it's about walking side by side with people, um, trying to to help them in their lives, um, trying to give them, um, trying to help them see that there is something more to life than than uh, what we normally see. To to look at this life through new eyes and try to help people as they struggle with all the rubbish that life throws at them. <laughs> Mm. All the, man, the illnesses and the depression and the anxiety and um, the relationship breakdowns and the, and the divorces and the, uh, the abuse and the violence and the immorality. It's, it's just everybody faces all that sort of crap. Yes. <laughs> you don't mind me saying that. Every, and it, being a Christian does not prevent you from facing that stuff. You yeah. face it just the same as everybody else. We, we had it discussion a few weeks yeah, about the fact yeah. that just because you're a Christian and you turn up to church on Sunday doesn't no, abdicate you from does being not. experienced. No, it does this not. Sort of stuff. In fact, in some places of the world, it makes it worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can be a Christian and you can be persecuted for that. Yes. Um, so it does not abdicate you from that. But it, if we can give people eyes of faith that allows them to to know that they know that they know that there is a God out there that cares for them and has a plan mm. for them and um, actually has a future for them, that this life is not the end, that you don't have to have that 
terrifying that 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 emotive experience that this is all there there is and there is no more me you don't need to have that no matter how bad your life is no matter how much you struggle when you get to that day when you meet your god face to face and you realize that actually this this was just a rehearsal for what's coming mm. <laughs> um, that that's what essence, really matters is that the essence of living with faith that there is a god that is has a plan and yeah it's not for you to know what the plan is coming to you you can start to see the plan by looking backwards and going ah but you know that almost like the the joy of the experience of being a human is Hmm. not seeing what's coming for you but at the same Hmm. time taking the step and knowing it's going to be all right it might not feel like it right now Hmm. Hmm. there's a there's a sense of that i i would probably put it a little bit more strongly than that Hmm. um I would say that there is a sense that I know that I'm walking down the right path. I, I know that those moments that, are, that, that I feel like God is saying, this is what I want you to do, they're, they're pretty clear. And, mm. and I'm confident that God is saying, yes, this is the path. So right now, called to be a pastor, I know I'm where I should be. Mm. Um, I don't know what tomorrow is going to hold more than anybody else does. I just know that right now I feel like I'm in the will of God. I feel mm. like I'm doing what he's made me to be. I'm doing what he's called me to be. Um, and it doesn't mean that I, I feel like I'm all that, but I feel like I'm doing what, um, <coughs> what he wants me to be mm. and what wants me to do. But journeying, the journey, the life of faith, it, it, I've got this illustration I've used before, is it's not that God is way out there. Like imagine yourself walking down a street and God's 20 meters ahead of you or 50 meters or 100 meters ahead of you. And you're like, I he turns left okay okay so in 20 minutes time I've got to turn left and and I'm sort of following God that way it's not really that kind of image and it's definitely not the other one which is where I'm walking down the street and God is 50 meters behind me and God is saying where's he going to go next yeah (laughs) oh he's turned left oh God better follow me yeah so it's not that kind of image as well it's for me the the enduring image is an image of partnership it's an image where God and I are walking down the street together. Um, he's actually right next to me. And yeah, he's saying, well, I think we should go this way next and I think we should go this way next. But we walk together. And I grow as I walk in that partnership with him by my side. And so I've got this, so my, my faith really says that um, it, it's a real faith of partnership, um, that I, I wanna live this life with God, with God. Um, where I depend upon him every day. Um, no, I'm a very practical person. I earn my salary. We budget. We pay for things. We, you know, we make decisions. Mm. But I try to bring God into those decisions as well, particularly the big ones. And so it's it's a, it's a sense of I don't know. I've got this image of my his arm is on my shoulder kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you yeah. you're walking down the path together, side by side, and yeah, he's showing me the way that. It, he wants me to travel and he gives me um, guidance. You know, the Bible says uh, that his word, that the Bible, the word is a light for my path, mm. a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. So it shows me the way mm. that I'm going to travel. Certainly the stories you've shared today. Yeah, 
Yeah, so that's kind of yeah my experience. Yeah, so he's he's there with me. Um, but as you look back, obviously you you can see more clearly as it as it all hangs together. Um, but an enduring sense that he is with you and he is he is leading you down the right path. Um, and and usually it it works in terms of once you've you, you sense God calling you down a direction, you make a decision to step out in faith. Usually you know at that point whether it was the right decision or not. Usually there's an overwhelming sense of, yeah, I've made the right decision, or what have I done? Crap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, again, yes. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So, just give me a brief insight. What's day-to-day life like as a pastor of a church? Hmm. It's, I would say it's not quite what I expected it would be. <laughs> right. Um, gr- growing up, um, well, for the last 15 years or so, attending church, uh, you kind of get this impression that um, being a pastor simply means preparing a sermon once a week. Yeah. So you get this image of a person sitting in their office, maybe reading the Bible, maybe reading a few books, writing a sermon all week, and that's kind of it. And as long as you present your sermon well and you do a good church service then mm. that's your job done a- again it's kind of the opposite <laughs> yeah it's um it's a very busy role you don't really know what's going to happen next and uh you usually have to try and set aside time to work in the sermon because right. it just otherwise it just gets too busy doing other things uh it's very much uh pastoral work is people work mm. so you don't do it if you don't like people or <laughs> Yeah. Uh, if you don't enjoy being with people, um, don't do it because it's it won't work. It really is yeah. shepherding is is an idea of um, you're there. I mean, it comes from agriculture. The shepherd with the sheep. Yes. Um, and so you're there with your people, um, living lives with them, yeah. um, helping them as they go through. But just because you're a pastor doesn't mean you're above them. No way. No way. <laughs> and, and that's it's not like you levitate into the church. <laughs> Yeah, people have do have that yeah. view of a pastor, and there's historical reasons for that. But the the view that the the New Testament gives and the Bible gives is actually one of um, yes, it is a it is a role that's worthy of respect and honor. But it actually is one where you are walking with the people. Yeah. The, the 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 view that you get in the New Testament is not of one of modern day leadership. Okay, I, I know what it, I know what it means to be a leader. I mean, I've I've studied leadership. I, I've been a leader. Um, I can act as a leader. I know I know what leadership is. But some people mistake pastoral ministry and eldership with with the secular view of leadership. And I say that with respect. I'm not trying to denigrate that. That is a that mm. is a role. But that's not what the biblical role is. The biblical role is of shepherding. It's not of Secular leadership is of shepherding. And the view of shepherding is getting alongside someone, not lording it over them like that verse I shared. Yeah. Um, it, the, in 1 Peter 5, it continues and says, don't lord it over them like the uh, kings of this world do, yeah. but you shepherd them, you take care of the sheep. Yeah. So it's a don't sense of being... stand between me and my relationship with God. No. I'm not the mediator, mediator no. between you and God. Yeah. I'm there just to I'm on the other shoulder. You. With him yeah. on the other side. Yeah, God, God's God is the one who I want them to be in a partnership with, and and my goal is just to um, help them to understand their relationship, to teach, to teach, to pray for them, 
to minister to them in times of trouble, to, to minister to them in times of joy, you know, weddings, baptisms, all those kind of things, baby dedications, uh, to help people as they go through the difficulties of life, mm. marriage issues, all those kind of things. Um, so it requires skill and um, training and experience, but not, not authority, you know what I mean? Yeah. Not, not saying, I'm the man, or I'm yeah. the leader, or I'm the boss. Do it like I say, yeah. so you can get to see the big guy. Yeah. So it's, it's really a sense of coming alongside people and just helping them in whatever their needs are at the mm. time. So my day would involve, um, I, I, I personally like to get into a own habit, whereas I rock up at uh, church in the morning, go into my office and just spend, you know, just whatever, 10, 15 minutes of my own time, just want to read a few chapters of the Bible, nothing to do with what I'm preaching that week, just, just reading through the Bible my own time, just so I'm being fed through the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And then just a few minutes praying and and often that is praying for the people in the church that are going through difficulties, difficult circumstances. Like we've got someone whose young child is going over to Melbourne for heart surgery next week. And so, right. you know, I want to pray for them and support them during that time. And, and we do practical things as well, like provide meals. And, you know, um, so spend time in prayer for the people of the church, interceding for them, praying for us as a church where we might be heading, praying for wisdom praying for my own family, praying for myself, you know, all those sorts of things. And then just get into the daily work and see what that involves. And often it involves meeting with people. Uh, often it involves uh, preparation for various aspects of the, whether it's the weekend service or events that we have coming up. Um, so for, for example, yesterday I was preparing for our Christmas services. Yep. And that's still a few weeks away, but we've got to prepare, you know, media and banners and all sorts of things. Uh, and also, uh, in the role that I sit in, I'm the lead pastor, so also overseeing the staff and and um, uh, just running the church, basically. Hmm. Um, so it's, Similar to what you were doing as an IT specialist. Yeah, that, that prepared me in some ways for what I'm doing now, but you never really know until you step into the role what it's yeah. really like. Um, but it, it is the sort of role where I feel... Um, I'm I'm growing a lot, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, I, and I feel like uh, I have to develop, I have to grow, I have to mature as a person, as a Christian, mm. as a person of faith, and I kind of feel like we're doing that together as, mm. a, as a church. Yeah. So no 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 day is the same. I mean I yeah. plan for the day like everybody else does, but sometimes things just happen. Yeah. How much of your time is focused? Obviously, there's. Is those in the flock, so to speak. Yep. Yep. Um, and how much time, and what does it look like in terms of recruitment, as it were, um, hmm. bringing people in? Yeah, we would call that sort of evangelism. Or is, is that what you mean? Well, if I was going to look at it from crude business terms, how hmm. much, how much, you know, marketing to bring people in? Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, what do you do in terms of making the presence of the Baptist Church in each Frio known to the community to know that it's there mm. for you if you want mm. to come in? Um, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I do, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a slight Because is that looking after yeah. the people who are already in, mm. and then it's being open to those who may want to. Yeah. 
and is that an active thing or is it a reactive thing or hmm. so we, we um we're, we're kind of blessed where we are in terms of we have a daycare center that was planted by the church about 10 years ago which is actually it's part of the land the church lives lives uh, the church owns uh, it's a separately incorporated organization hmm. but um uh it is a faith organization as well. It's a not-for-profit. And, um, you know, they, they're they quite open about the fact that they do teach the kids about Easter mm. and Christmas. They don't shove it down their throats. No way. But um, we do teach they, them some... They, they you know, underpin the... Yeah. And, and give them um, an insight into the Christian faith. And so we love that community. And um, we, we try to... Um, reach out to the, the families that are around there. And so we offer pastoral care to them and support. And so as families go through difficult times, um, mm. we try to help them, support them as well. We recently had a family that was going through a tough time. And so we provided meals for them so they didn't need to cook at that time. And so all those sorts of things, we, we reach out to that family. So that's probably our our main focus rather than just being anyone. We, we obviously have our own churchgoers. And then beyond that, we have the Stepping Stones daycare family that we'd love to get involved with. And, and so, for instance, um, early December, we will have them come with their kids to do like a end-of-year concert. Mm. So the parents and the grandparents will come in. We pack the church out and we, we do a little Christmas carols with the kids. It's just to give them an experience of... Um, to, to help them celebrate their year and their mm. kids and what they've been doing, but also to give them an, an idea of who we are, where... Yeah, we're actually nice people. You know? yeah. We're actually normal. <laughs> um, yeah. We're not going to shove anything down their throats or anything like that. And, yeah. And so we would do outreach events like Christmas and Easter, and um, you know Father's Day, Mother's Day, where we invite families to bring their mothers and, and fathers in, and those kind of things. And we we pro- we 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 aim to be a really open church. Um, we don't go out of our way to market that, yeah. like in a in a. Um, corporate sort of marketing fashion but we have a website and we have signs up and that kind of thing and uh, something that I've said since I've been there and and I really do believe this um, is that there's a few um, sort of hallmarks I would say of East Fremantle Baptist that I'm that I like to promote Um, I shared probably two of them with you one that I've said a number of times at the church is that um, you can come to our church and you can either believe or you can belong. Okay? Yeah. So sometimes people's experience of church might be that people want to shove their beliefs down your throat. But that's not what we want to do. Um, I mean, we know what we believe and we, we, we believe that we have this incredible message of forgiveness and grace. And But you can come to our church, you can be part of our church, you can join in with our services, you can you can come to our Saturday night dinners and you can come to our events and do all those things. You can be part of our community. And wow, people need community these days. Yeah. But you can do that and you can say, I'm not a believer, I'm just a belonger. And I would say to you, that is great. That's, that's cool too. That, that's cool. That's no problems whatsoever. Just um, like being part of the gang. Yeah, just being part of the team. Um just live life with us. And sometimes, actually, it does take a long time for people to be convinced of faith. Mm. And so I know that if they're with our church, doing life with us, then it gives them the opportunity to explore that for a long period of time. And I'm the last person that's going to shove it down their throat. 
I will tell them the truth, what I think I believe God is teaching us, but I'm not going to force them to believe. It's that so it's door is closed. You've yeah. got to reach out and open it. And right, open your own it. door. And I remember we had yeah. a couple in our church. <clears throat> I won't say who it was, but we had a couple in the church who came up to me afterwards and said, I really like that believe or belong. And by the way, we're belongers, not believers. And I thought that was great. Yeah. That they felt comfortable enough to come and tell me that. Um, and that, that, was, that was a real highlight for me. So believe or belong, you know, that's the type of church mm. that we are. The second thing is what I call tightly, lightly. Um, oftentimes in some churches, um, your experience might be that you go to there and not only do you have to believe what they believe, but you have to believe everything that they believe. Yeah. <laughs> right? So it's not just you have to believe in Jesus and, you know, the, the, the salvation type things, but you have to believe in their understanding of the whole Bible and the way that they... And let me tell you, there are many different ways of making sense of the, the, all the other things in the Bible. So we have this term, this phrase called tightly lightly, and it, and it goes like this. It says, there are some things that if you want to believe, um, so if you're a believer, not a belonger, you're going to believe, there are some things that we're going to hold tightly. And that means that we're not going to have differences of opinion. right? And so the sort of things that they mm. are is the, the only things that matter to be what we would say to be saved. And by that, I mean to have a relationship with God, to know God and to be known by God and to be confident that this life is not the end, that when you die, you'll be with him uh, in heaven, in, in, in his kingdom. So yeah. those things, we call them salvation type things or the technical term is salvific things. And the only things I put into there is basically that Jesus is not just a man, that he's actually God who came down and took on humanity upon himself so he's he is god who became human or added humanity to his divinity so he is god and the second thing and this is a little bit divisive and i apologize to your listeners if this is the case but that jesus is the only way to mm. get into a relationship with god now um i know that's divisive um but it's what the bible teaches us and you can't get away from that um, unless you start ripping pages out of the Bible. And it actually makes a lot of sense as well, because we believe that what the Bible teaches us is that Jesus, God, comes down as a man. He lives a life without doing anything wrong, without making all the mistakes that we make, and that he dies on the cross. And we've all heard those stories. Yeah. He dies and rises again. But the reason he dies is not because he made all mistakes, but it's because we made the mistakes. And so he doesn't die for his mistakes. He chooses to die for our mistakes. So on the cross, what you see Jesus hanging there, there's really, it's an image of Jesus taking upon himself the sins of, sins of all humanity, hmm. all in one moment. And God, the Father, actually punishes in some ways, you could say he's punishing himself because you've got the idea of the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So God says, this is the punishment. And then God comes down and he himself takes the punishment. Mm. Uh, and the overwhelming message of the New Testament is that Jesus died for our sins. It just says it over and over again. And so if that's the case, if that is true, then there cannot be any other way to God because you've got this whole issue of what about the sin? You know, you mm. might go through this other path, 
but then no one's taking care of the sins. Mm. Only way to get to God, the Bible says, is actually through faith in Jesus because he died on the cross for your sins. And so when you believe in Christ, what happens is this transaction between you and God occurs. And God says, I now count you forgiven because you believe in my son and he died for your sins. You almost recognize that yep. this is where he lived and this is how, yep. how he came to pass. There's a barrier between every human being and God and that is, well, actually, I said, I've said it before, there's two barriers. <laughs> One barrier on God's side and one barrier on our side. The barrier on God's side is actually our sin. See, God being perfectly holy, perfectly loving, and most people would think of God that way. He is absolutely perfect. He wants to live with people, but he, he can't when people just keep doing everything wrong. He can't live in this context of sinful humanity. And so there's this massive barrier where God says, I want to live with you, but I can't because of all the human sin. So I've got to deal with that sin. And so he sends Jesus, his son, to come down, who, who does that job. That was his task, deal with that sin. And he, and he pays for the sins of humanity on the cross. So he's done his job. That's why he cries out on the cross, it is finished, it is done. He means I've done the job. I've taken care of the sin. And so that barrier between us and God, the one on God's side, is gone. Look, you can look up to heaven, and in Revelation five it says there is a sorry Revelation uh, four that there is a door open. The door is open to heaven because the barrier on God's side is gone. But there's another barrier, and that's a barrier on our side, and that's the barrier of I don't want to believe. Uh, I I reject. God. I don't want to know God. I want I don't want God to tell me what to do with my life. <laughs> I want to do what I want to do Keep with my time. Closed. Keep the door closed. So God's done his part and he's removed the barrier of sin. And um, it's really up to us if we want to remove that barrier on our part. That's where it's our choice. Mm. And so coming back to tightly lightly, there's only those two things really then that, that I would really say really belong there is that Jesus is God. If you start to question that, um, again, you've got to rip pages out of the Bible. Secondly, actually, the whole idea of salvation doesn't work if he's not God. Mm. Um, that's another discussion, but it just does not work. Um, so he is God, and he's the only way to actually be saved or to be in a relationship where God knows me and I'm known by him. And so I'd say those are the things we hold tightly. The image is one of a closed fist, so it's, it's a tight fist, so you don't try and peel it open. It's, it's a fighting fist, if you know what I mean. It's like the things in there are the things that really matter to our faith. These are the core things, and we are united on those if we are going to call ourselves believers. Uh, everything else, we don't hold tightly, we hold lightly. So right. the idea is an, an open hand. So I'll give you an example. People often debate as to how this world began, you know. Is it seven days of creation that occurred 6,000 years ago? Or is it evolution? Is it a big bang? What other cosmology ideas are there? Uh, I have my views on that, but I hold it lightly. Mm. Um, and so people can come into our church and they can say, mm. oh, I'm a seven-day creationist. Yeah. Or I'm a scientific evolutionist. You can be part of our church. Uh, we can talk about it, but we don't get hot under the collar about it. We don't get angry about it. We don't divide over it. So we allow people to have differences of opinion. Um, and I think it's, it's through maintaining those kind of rubric of beliefs, those hallmarks of believe and belong and tightly lightly, 
is that way we can actually have unity um, as different people. We're, we're all unique. Um, God doesn't desire uniformity. He wants unity, as what it says in the Bible. I want you to be united together. And I think that's how we achieve it. Um, mm. So far, so good. Yeah. <laughs> I've just got to keep that at the forefront of our minds. Um, that um, we want to be united that way. Because if you look at, if you look at church history... There's been many, many divisions in church history. I mean, there are literally 30,000 plus Christian denominations around the world. And you think, well, that's not unity. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, the, kind of the opposite of unity, right? Yeah. Um, but um, uh, what you, you notice if you look at those divisions is the vast majority are not dividing over things that we should hold tightly. They are dividing over things we hold lightly. Yeah. So, you know, are priests allowed to marry? Um, you know, uh, creation, how did that, when did that occur? How did it work? What happens at the end? Uh, what about the roles of men and women in the church? It's, it's kind of over all that sort of stuff. How does God think? How does God work? And people get really um, defensive <laughs> and worked up over that kind of stuff. And, and I used to as well. Yeah. Um, but um, nowadays, I just try and look at it through a different lens. And if I ever feel myself getting a bit worked up, I just ask the question, you know, is this something that I need to get worked up over? Um, because I kind of think forward to the time when we are in God's kingdom in heaven, you know, the, the next life to come is that there, it's going to be filled with people that have all sorts of different views. Mm. Um, and maybe in that day we'll find out what the right view is. <laughs> yeah. But they'll be full of people, whether they're Catholics or Protestants yeah. or, or, or whether you're Baptist, whether you're Church of Christ or whatever, or whether you, you don't even have a church association, but you have this fundamental belief in God and of Christ. And, and I think we'll be, there'll be some big surprises in heaven. <laughs> mm. Tell me about um, you. When we spoke a couple of weeks ago, you introduced the concept of the third place. Mm. Of We have home, we have work. Hmm. And then traditionally it's been the church has been the yeah. third place, but there seems to be a, a lack of the third place. Exactly, as in, yeah. As in a, a safe place to discuss and talk about you know, things to do with life and things yep. bigger than yourself. Yeah. Yeah, well, I certainly didn't come up with that concept myself. Um, it's, um, it's pretty well documented at this point in time. It's kind of one of those big ideas to be talking about is this this idea of the third space and, and you're right um historically um most people went to church i mean for for most of humanity people have been people of faith uh, it's really only since the enlightenment and then a and then a turning away of faith more and more since then and the mm. technological and intellectual revolutions and things is that um people now um think uh, a lot more scientifically and you know, challenged ideas of faith. But for the vast period of history, it actually wasn't even questioned. Mm. Everyone believed in a God. And the, and the problem was actually when bad things happen in your life, it's because God is angry with you. Yes. <laughs> and when good things happen, it's because God is, is happy with you. And, a, and actually quite a lot of the Bible is taken up about challenging that. It's actually not the case. Yeah. Um, and if, you know, if, if your nation won, then it was because your God was stronger than that God. And so everyone sort of really believed the vast majority of yeah. people had the this sense that there was a God. Everyone. Yeah. And he, he controlled all things, the weather, the climate, the blessings, the curses, all those sorts of things. Um, so leading into a more modern world, um, the vast majority of people would attend church. 
And so church would have been that natural third place, that third community where you have, your, like you said, your home, number one, um, your family, your relatives, that kind of thing, your workplace, your career, your community there. And you had the third place, which was the church. And there's a lot of uh, people that are writing today that are saying humans need a third place. Um, we need that, that third family, that third place of community. Uh, and a recognition that the church used to provide that. Um, but even in today's uh, Australian context, which we, we are obviously becoming more secular and turning away from the church. I, I totally understand that. Uh, the, that pe people have been lacking that third place. And so uh, people are looking now to establish other ways of doing that. So you'll find uh, a lot more people are being involved in things like uh, the um, tennis clubs and places like that where they can have a third place. It might be the bowling club. Um, obviously, there's groups like the RSL and the, and the, and the other um, paratype organizations that people are getting involved in. There's even churches these days which are non-faith-based churches that crop up to give people community. And, and so for us in the church, the community aspect is a powerful aspect of, of why we gather together. Uh, we gather together, yes, we have this underlying uh, faith in common that we, we, we believe in, we want to worship God with our lives, but we also need the community of faith. We need the community of just families together. And it gives us that third space. And that um, is a good balance to life. Uh, and it actually, <laughs> it helps you uh, as you try and, you know, uh, as parents, as you try and lead your family and lead your kids, it's very helpful having other families around you that can uh, speak into your kids' lives, can, can guide them, support them, and help them. Um, having uh, two teenagers now, my second child has now just become a teenager, I'm very much aware that sometimes um, I'm not the most effective person to speak into my child's life. Yes. But sometimes if I can get someone who I trust from the church, maybe a young adult or something like that, mm. uh, it can be it can have a lot more impact mm. in kids' lives. Um, so yeah, that, I think that third space is incredibly important for us as human beings. The church is one way, um, a fairly natural way, I think, of, of, um, of having that third space. Uh, if you look at, um, like we do, obviously we do our, our surveys and our statistics as Australian citizens, and you can see that the the... Uh, number of people who would say who would tick that box and say I am Christian is steadily decreasing. Uh, a few years ago, it was down to about fifty percent, whereas in years gone by, it would have been a lot higher than that. Uh, I think in a five-year period from two thousand and eleven to two thousand and sixteen, I think it dropped almost ten percent, which is massive. Uh, but even more than that, even if you said, well, there's still fifty percent of people that say they were Christian. If you look at the people that actually attend church on a semi-regular basis, it's, it's incredibly low. It's um, it's around five percent, or you know, mm. don't take that as gospel. But it's 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 quite small. Um, so a lot of people are missing out on that community aspect of faith, mm. uh, and I think um, it needs to be filled. Yeah. Um, fine, if if uh, church is not for them and that's not what they're looking for, I think we need to people need to. Um, step least, out of their comfort zone, at least at look least for community consider elsewhere. what a third space might look like mm, for them. Exactly. Uh, I mean, coming from the church and being a pastor of the church, I think the church actually offers a very 
a very healthy and safe um, uh, third space um, and, and something that actually answers some of the bigger questions of life. Mm. Um, I paused when I said safe there um, because I, I recognise um, that the church in recent times has, hasn't always um, come across as being a place that was safe. And if I can just speak to that just for a few moments, um, I, I recognise that the church has a lot to respond to in terms of um, uh, sexual abuse allegations. Um, we've seen the Royal Commission to institutionalise uh, child sexual abuse, which the church um, needs to respond to that and is responding to that. Uh, we've seen um, Cardinal Pell recently, who mm. was a figurehead for the Catholic Church. Now, I'm part of the Baptist denomination, but we are the church. Yeah. And we can't distinguish that way. Um, and so being involved in the church, I think it's um, important, and we, we put a lot of effort into this, is to really get on the front foot to and go the extra mile to show and to demonstrate that we actually are an incredibly safe church. Now, when I say that, I can really, I, I can see movements within the whole church, but I can speak only for my own church, East Fremantle Baptist, is we go, we put a lot of effort into making sure that we are a safe place. Um, so we, uh, whenever we have leaders, you know, it might have, historically, it might have been you want to lead, yeah, you can lead and here's some groups go. that you can be involved and off you go. Nowadays, we take them through serious screening processes. Um, they need to have a working with children, they need to have a police clearance, they need to have references, they need to go through training. Uh, and we have policies about how many parents, how many, how many leaders can be with children at any point in time. And so we are incredibly careful. And I think even though there might be a reputation and there has been some horrendous things done, which is, should never be associated with, with the Christian faith, but unfortunately it has been, um, I think um, now I think we are one of the safest places that people can have as a third space. Mm because we really go to a huge amount of effort to make sure that nothing like that would ever happen. Um, and I, that's one of my prayers. That we would never be a place that um, would be associated with that. Hmm. So um, it doesn't, um, it doesn't uh, abdicate us as to what um, has happened hmm. in the past, uh, but it does demonstrate that um, we want to make sure that nothing like that ever happens again. Hmm. Yeah. So we've been through... Amazing journey and insight into how you come to where you are and, and, and the things that you do. What have you learned about yourself on this journey? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where you start with a question like that? <laughs> um, I've, le I've learned a lot, particularly the last couple of years uh, where I've taken on more of a senior role in the leadership in the church. Um, I've learned um, a lot of my shortcomings uh, that um, I've learned more about my personality. I'm not quite as much of an extrovert as I thought I was. And so sometimes I do need to withdraw to, um, to uh, recuperate my own strength. Um, I've worked out that um, I think in myself, uh, I don't think I have... Um, I wouldn't consider myself um, a very gifted person, a very talented person, or a very strong leader or anything like that. Um, but I've learnt that when I depend upon 
the Lord and um, bring him into my life and to bring him into what I'm doing, then I can be very successful. Um, and I've learned that through mm. trial and error. <laughs> yeah. So the times that I think, hey, I'm something, and I go out there and try and do it, usually I fall flat on, flat on my face. <laughs> but when I uh, am prayerful about it and I ask for God's enabling and blessing and, and support, then it's usually far more, uh, far more um, successful. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I've uh, learned to be a bit more humble um, uh, and to try not to um, uh, put myself above others, uh, to, um, to, to realise that um, everyone goes through life and has all the same, many, many similar same challenges and difficulties and thoughts that we all have. And so just try and, and walk side by side with people there. So there's been a, a humbling effect in my life if I can say that yeah sometimes when you say you, you feel like you're growing in humility it sounds like arrogance <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm not trying to say that I'm just trying to say I feel very much um uh conscious of my uh, of my shortcomings um I don't feel better than others in fact I I generally feel like others are more capable than I am and in some ways I feel like I'm a reluctant leader um mm. I'd, I'd be quite happy for someone else to step up and and to speak or to lead but um, for some reason, the Lord wants me to do it. And so I, f I feel it's more of a step of obedience than a step of, I want this platform. Hmm. You know, I'd be quite happy to sit at home, read a book, or go to a church service and listen to someone else speak. Be inspired. And... Yeah, be inspired. And, uh, but um, I feel that God, I know that God um, wants me to do it. Hmm. So it's a sense of obedience. Uh, so I've, I've learned that about myself. Um, and that, that's kind of nice because I don't need to try and... Um, I don't need to try and protect the role. I don't need to try and um, look after it. I say, well, if you don't want me to do it, God, I, um, I can do something else. That's fine. But um, I would love to see others rise up and shine and give them opportunities. So I've, le I've learned that about myself. That's been a, a growing experience. I've learned um, I really don't know how to parent teenagers. <laughs> 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 uh, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago when we met up was the idea that um, there's... There's these, and I don't want to over-generalize or over-stereotype, but there are, there are a number of stages in, in human life that the vast majority of humans walk through. Now, again, not everybody does, and I'm not saying it's wrong if you don't walk down these paths, but a lot, a lot of people go through the, the, the path that you, you, know, you grow up as a child in a family, at some point in time you gain your independence, uh, you enjoy the independence and then eventually you meet someone and you learn, you have to learn to share your life with that person. Eventually you get married and then it becomes even more complicated. You've got to live with that person and you've got to, um, you know, give and take and all that kind of thing. And we no longer live in a Victorian era with marriages. There's a lot more egalitarian equality and that's certainly the way I try to live my marriage as well. And so you have to develop as a person as you do that and then... Mm. The biggest thing of all is then kids come along and it just totally changes your life. You know, you think you know what you're doing and, and then you realize uh, you're selfish, you're self-centered and all these kind of things. I'm impatient uh, and kids have a way of um, just bringing out all those, I'm angry, you know, all those attributes of my life that I didn't think were there until kids came along. And then you start get the hang of raising babies and toddlers and by the third child you kind of... An old hat at it, and you know what you're doing, and and then you go through the the lovely years of 
um, you know, when they're somewhere from about five or six through to about the preteen years, just they're just wonderful years where the kids love you and and they listen to, they hang on every word that you say, and um, it's just great years. And and then something happens when they become teenagers, and then all of a sudden. Um, and you've heard it before, like they don't, they don't seem to respect you or anything like that. And, and they, don't, they don't listen to what you say and they question everything you say. And um, you've been told that this is going to happen, but when it still happens, you fight it. And, it's, and you try to hang on to the authority that you had as a, as a parent. And, and, and then that's where I'm at now with, with my teenagers. And so we're just working through that. And what I'm realizing is... I go into those times thinking my kids need to change. My kids need to change, mm-hmm. but actually, what it is is I need to change. Yes. Um, sure, they need to learn some things as well. Don't get me completely wrong, but the attitude that's causing the real, the real tension in the family relationships is my attitude. <laughs> <laughs> my wife would love to listen to that. <laughs> yeah. <That's laughs> but <your> kids. <laughs> yes, especially my kids. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's that attitude of of wanting to be in charge, wanting to control, wanting to govern my kids' lives where I'm being matured as well. And so and so these these if you would accept me saying these normal stages of life that the the majority of people walk through again, not everyone, but the majority of people walk through, they have a way of maturing us and growing us. Um, and looking at that through eyes of faith, I believe mm that God put those in place because he wants us to grow and he wants us to mature. And so when we embrace those stages of life, no matter how difficult it is having a baby that doesn't sleep through the night, and it is really hard. I know it's really hard. I've been there um, and I've got friends that are there. Um, You actually do grow through it. It's painful, but you grow. Mm. And so that's where I'm at now. And I'm so trying to do a bit of introspection as to what am I doing wrong Uh, or what is God trying to grow in me at this present time as I go through my teenage, teenagers and that mm. kind of thing? And to have this overarching um, philosophy of raising kids where I want to take them from a position of total dependence to a position of relative independence. Dependence. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when they come out of the womb, you do everything for them. When they leave home at 18 or 20 or 22 or 25, or whatever it is, I want to be confident enough that they can live life with a relative independence from us where they can survive and they can then begin to walk through that, that, um, that maturity process and that life experience process. So, I, so parenting, if I was to say an overarching philosophy for me is to take them from dependence to independence. Mm. Um, I don't know how I'm doing with that. Yes. <laughs> um, I think there's a lot more of the kids are doing really well and and I'm fighting against the maturity and the growth that has to happen in me. But God is patient, hey. Yeah. God is patient. He gives us years to learn these things and he gives us some for some of us we have multiple children to learn this through. And yeah. One thing of God is the Bible says that God is long suffering, which is uh, probably a more accurate way of saying that he's patient that he suffers with yeah. us for a long time. And so he gives us so much time to make mistakes, to go down the wrong path, to mess up, to have relationship breakdowns, but then there's always opportunities for reconciliation and to come back, to get back on the horse, to have another go. 
and God is so gracious in that. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't hold these things against us. It's like he can just flick the switch and I don't think he forgets, but he, he almost behaves like he forgets. Like he doesn't hold those things against us. He doesn't bring mm. them back up like we like to do. He says, okay, you've made a new decision to move forward. Let's go forward with that. Let's go. Yeah. So there's never, it, there's, it's never too late with God. Mm. Sometimes one of the privileges of being a pastor is you do get to see people in the final stages of their lives. Um, and uh, in, that, in those few final stages, you see sometimes the joy of people actually, actually crying out to God. And I can tell you that God doesn't reject them at that point in time. He no. accepts them. And that's the kind of God that we have. Um, so we have, an, we have an awesome God. We have an amazing God. Um, he's just waiting for us to open mm. the door. Yeah. What does the next three, three or so years look like for Ray? Um, continue to work through uh, teenage years. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully um, some of those things we've talked about um, in three to five years' time, I'll, I'll be um, hopefully a bit more confident that we've, we've gone okay in that space. Um, so just growing personally, growing as a family, um, and uh, as far as I can see, just growing with the faith communities from Mount Baptist, and just whoever walks through, through those doors, whoever it is, just try and do life together with them and to be that community for them, to be that third space um, I don't have grandiose plans to, um, you know, climb the ladder to, to run a mega church or anything like that. Mm. That's not my plans. So I, I, my philosophy is if God calls me to something, I'll keep doing it until he calls me out. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So the last question I ask my guests is um, if you could take a little nugget of information and just upload it into the collective consciousness everybody just gets it what would that be I think um, I think ultimately it's going to sound very simple but I think ultimately I would say God is good God is really good um and just to unpack that a tiny bit, I would say that sometimes our preconceptions of who God is and what the Bible is all about and what church is all about is actually not what it really is. Mm. And that was my experience. And once you start to investigate God for yourself, even just pick up the New Testament and read just one gospel, um, read the Gospel of Matthew or read the Gospel of John or something like that, you begin to realize that God is good, that God loves us, and God, He simply wants to know us and walk life with us. Um, and life is better when you walk life with God. Mm. Because when those, when those bad things happen, and they always do, you're not alone. You know, sometimes you need someone who's by your side who can pick you up and carry you for a while. And... and um, doesn't take away the pain, it doesn't take away the challenge, but it certainly makes it easier to live with. It makes it easier to get through and get to a better place. So let's end with that. God is good. Awesome. Right, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Yeah, likewise. Um, 
it's been so much more full hmm. than I when I come into every podcast with a very open mind and hmm. and, a capa- and, and and a curiosity to listen but um, to listen to your journey interwoven with the development of faith hmm. and everything and the way you've described it has been absolutely fascinating so thank you very much oh if people want to find you where can they find you oh, I'm an Easter around a Baptist church so um, Canning High um, corner of Fortescue Street yeah. and we run services each weekend 5pm Saturday evening we have a family meal afterwards and Sunday mornings at 10am slightly more traditional service um, or you can look me up on Facebook or <laughs> LinkedIn or whatever all of the places um, but I'm a Perth boy so not too hard to find indeed Ray, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much as well, Bryn. Yeah. Cheers.